want to ask you a question. What would you be willing to do for a million dollars? Think about it. What would you be willing to do for a million dollars? I got a few possibilities here. Would you steal a business idea from your best friend? Or a cheese puff? <laughs> Would you swim in shark-infested waters? We've got some brave souls. Would you sacrifice a random person's life? In other words, kill somebody that you don't know. Thank you, I hope not. <laughs> Would you loan your spouse to another person for a night? Would you sell one of your kidneys, part of your liver, or maybe a lung? Would you spend five years in jail for a million dollars? And then finally, would you not have anything to do with Jesus for a year? No church, no Bible, no prayer, no celebration of Christmas or Easter. Now, a lot of people have do that, though. question is, would you even give a second thought to any of those things? Sure, <laughs> depends on which one it was. Well, some people would. I actually read a survey, I think it's an older survey, um, of what people said they would be willing to do for $1 million. And nearly half of those in the survey said they'd be willing to do one of these things. And the first one was spend time in jail. It didn't say how much time. One night in jail for a million bucks, that might not be a bad deal. Never see your best friend again. About 40% of the people said they would move permanently to a foreign country. And this one's really sad. Around 40 to 50% of the people said they would throw their loved, beloved pet off a cliff for a million dollars. Money is powerful. Someone once said, money makes the world go round. Will Rogers said, too many people spend the money they earned to buy things they don't want, to impress people they don't like. Here, here's a real good one. It's from that comedic philosopher, Steve Martin. Remember him? Steve Martin said this. He said, I love money. I love everything about money. And I bought some pretty good stuff. Got me a $300 pair of socks. Got a fur-lined sink. An electric dog polisher. I mean, how many people got one of those? A gasoline-powered turtleneck sweater. And then Steve Martin concludes by saying, yeah, and I bought some dumb stuff, too. <laughs> Benjamin Franklin was quoted as saying, money never made a man happy. The more he has, the more he wants. And instead of filling a vacuum, it actually creates a vacuum. The Apostle Paul wrote to his protege Tim Timothy, he said, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And so guess what? We're talking about money today. And I do have people stationed at the doors so that no one can escape. Actually, I have to tell you, when it comes to talking about money, it's a topic that can make us pastors nervous, makes us anxious. We get sweaty palms, which I did have this morning at the first service. Sometimes our heart races. For guys like me, our face might flush. And, and actually, I'm just very glad that last week, Pastor David spoke about anxiety, because 
pastors get anxious about talking about money because one of the things that happens is whenever we do that, it never fails. There's always a visitor at church that Sunday. And sometimes there's visitors at church who are not thrilled to be there. They were drug kicking and screaming to church. And talking about money can then spell disaster, particularly if you've got a new person at church, or maybe somebody that's been to church a long time who thinks, is all, thinks that all the church does is talk about money. And they shake their hand when the pastor starts saying something, and he said, yep, all they want is my money. Well, if that's you this morning, whether you've been here a long time or you're newer here, I can honestly say, and people will attest to it, that we rarely talk about money in this church. You just picked the right day to be here. <laughs> but I also hope to change your mind. You know, it, it is a fact that all churches need money to operate. I mean, every organization needs money. But I can tell you at Bethesda, and I'm speaking for all of you here because I think I know your hearts on this, we're much more interested in the person. We're much more interested in the person than we care about their money. We love people. We seek to impact our community. Our goal is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And you know what? If that happens as a church, I know we are filled with joy. God has blessed us. And we will trust that God will provide the money that we need to keep on doing that. But there is a hard reality here. And the hard reality is that Jesus Christ talked more about wealth than any other social issue. He spoke more to wealth than he did about marriage, our work, our politics, our sex, our power. And when Jesus talked about money, his focus was actually on discipleship, on helping people grow as followers of Jesus Christ. And the reason that is true is because God is interested in where we place our trust. We can't be all about the money. We can't put our trust in money and in our possessions. God has got to be our priority. Now the fact is, is that money is a tool, right? It's a gift that's provided by God. How we value that money and the things we get with it is what's important. And for some of us, what happens is that our money and our stuff and our possession, they become idols. They can become more important to us than God. And the fact is, that doesn't work. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have given us so much. You've provided food and clothing, a place to live, someone that we can share our life with. Life itself is a gift from you. Eternal life is certainly a gift from you. And we know that all good gifts come from you. We also realize that we have a choice. We can honor you with the gifts that you've given, or we can live for our own glory. Too often our money, our, pos our possessions can become idols. We worship wealth. And when that happens, Father, we just pray that you would forgive us, that you would help us to learn to trust in you and to put you first in our lives. Let us use those great gifts that you have given us for good. And certainly, may we enjoy them, but may we also use them to serve others. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, if you've been here the, the past couple months, you know that we have been studying 
the Sermon on the Mount. And today we've come to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24, which Jordan just read a few moments ago. If you don't already have your Bible open, you might want to open it to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Many of the, the verses we're going to be discussing will be also on the screen. Now, as Jesus has done throughout the Sermon on the Mount, again here he's going after our heart. He actually, in a sense, is exploring what makes us tick. He's trying us to get us to think about what is really important. He's uncovering some of our deep-seated beliefs. The truth is, is what you and I believe in our heart will always end up showing in our behavior. And so the question for today is, where is your heart? Where is your heart? You know, it's not a complicated question. In our passage today, Jesus really only gives us two choices. The first choice is on the stuff of earth. The question is, is your heart on earthly stuff? Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. You know, there are things in the Bible that are very complex and hard to understand, but this is a pretty basic, simple command. Don't lay up treasures on earth. In the, in the original Greek, the verb here is in what's called the present imperative. And it sounds pretty fancy, but all that it means is that it requires constant attention. In other words, not putting our trust in earthly stuff isn't something that we do once, we check off the box, and we're done. We never have to worry about that again. No, it's actually an ongoing effort. We're constantly going to be, going to be tempted to store up treasures on earth. And, and the fact of the matter is that that can get us to focus on the negative. Sometimes, don't you feel like that when, boy, you know that this is always going to be a temptation for me. And, and it beats me down, and, it, and I feel like I just, I just can't do it, God. And so we're tempted to give in to materialism. But there's another approach that we can take with this topic, and it's what I'd call a positive approach. We can think, you know what, this is very important. Jesus talked about it. i got to be careful. I can't get lazy. And it makes me realize, Jesus, how much I need you. I need you to give me strength to battle this temptation. And, and to help us, Jesus actually spoke of the, the loss that happens to our earthly treasures. It happens to all our earthly treasures. Dan Doriani points out that Jesus actually addressed two types of loss in this verse. First, we can suffer what you might call passive loss, which is due to rust and moths and decay. Back in, in Jesus' day, clothing was a valuable. Linens, fine linens were valuable. Clothing can be destroyed by moths and decay. Moths eat away at the cloth. Wet linens, if they're not dried, can get moldy and, and their values destroyed. Another precious treasure of that time was precious metals. And some of those metals could rust, and they did lose their value. See, the fact of the matter is that things rust. They stop working. They fall apart. And it actually comes out of the second law of thermodynamics. You didn't know we were going to talk about thermodynamics this morning. And what happens is entropy. Kim Garrick's over here nodding because we like entropy. Entropy, entropy is the tendency for things in nature to become disordered. They decay, they break, they wear out. 
I think a really neat bumper sticker would be Entropy Happens. <laughs> you think I'd sell many of those? You got to remember, I used to be a chemist, so this kind of stuff's exciting. <laughs> you know, as I was studying to be a, a chemist, my parents bought me a car. It was a 1971 Pat Pontiac Catalina. It had a 400 cubic inch V8 engine. Guys, can we grunt on that? Yeah. That car could float down the highway at 90 miles an hour and you didn't even feel like you were moving. Of course, I never did that. <laughs> wasn't a pretty car. That's, the, that's actually the color of it, of that car on the screen. I, I would call it a, a, a snot green color. And as I mentioned, my parents and actually my grandparents bought that car for me the Christmas of 1977. I was midway through my freshman year of college at Mizzou, and I needed a car to drive home from school on the weekends because that's something I did every weekend. And that car was actually a great and wonderful gift. It was a blessing for a homesick kid. My second semester at Mizzou, I came home every weekend in that car. But there was something special, something else that was really special about that Catalina. It was a great example of entropy happens. My Catalina had rust. It had lots of rust. I actually think that it was the rust that held it together. And, and this is kind of unique to my Catalina. The, the top lid of the trunk was so badly rusted that it leaked. And so when it rained, my trunk turned into a mobile aquarium. How many of you got a car that does that, right? <laughs> Driving home from Mizzou on a, a rainy Friday meant that I had to put all my clothes in the trunk in plastic bags so they wouldn't get soaked. My car was wasting away. Our stuff breaks. It wears out. It becomes op obsolete. It happens passively, which means it just, it just happens. There's no causative agent. We don't do it. And there's a second loss that Jesus mentioned, and this one could actually be called, called active harm or active loss. Jesus said thieves break in and steal. And I, watching the news, I think thieves are getting bolder and bolder. Last week we just talked about how Terry, who normally attends this service, had to chase away a guy who was trying to break into his car, and the car just happened to be sitting in, in Terry's driveway. And so to defend against thievery, we install home security systems, right? And many of those these days have cameras, and that means that on our cell phone, we can be a thousand miles away and still be watching what's going on in and around our house. We can even talk to the guy who's trying to break in our front door. You know, I thought that'd be cool, but you see a guy trying to break in your front door, you could get on and you could tell him, you know, by the way, buddy, I've got a German Shepherd and a couple Dobermans that are going to rip your leg off if you come in. But my luck would be then he would hear the Chihuahua that's staying with us yip. <laughs> See, even with protection, thieves still can break in and steal. Earthly stuff is not a good investment for eternity. And we get that, and we understand that. But, you know, one of the things I think Christians struggle with, that we struggle with, is, is Jesus telling us that wealth and possessions are inherently bad. That having money, that having possessions is inherently bad. And I think it's an important question. First, we have to realize that money has a purpose. Jesus didn't ban savings accounts and retirement funds. The Bible says that we should prepare for the future. 
I mean, think about in the Old Testament. Think about Joseph. Joseph was down in Egypt. He had a dream. He went to Pharaoh, and there was going to be seven years of feast and seven years of famine. And so Joseph was put in charge, and he stored up grain during those seven years of great harvest. And then when the seven years of famine hit, Joseph and Egypt were ready. Storing up grain saved thousands of lives, including the budding nation of Israel. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14, Paul told the Corinthians to save up for their children's future. 1 Timothy 6, 17, Paul told the church not to put their hope in their wealth. Instead, they were to put their trust in God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. See, Paul wasn't condemning wealth there. Specifically, he was pointing out the proper place to put our trust. And so wealth and possessions are not bad in themselves. Jesus didn't forbid us from enjoying God, the gifts that God provides. But what Jesus did forbid was selfish living and greed and the love of money. You know, if you're listening to this and wondering, you know, is money my idol or my possessions my idol? There's actually a very simple test. Look at how you spend your money. Consider how you spend your time. And does your answer to either of those questions prove that you're pretty selfish? Or does it demonstrate that you really have a heart of generosity? A lot of people today try to store up earthly treasures. And it really doesn't work. So instead, we store up heavenly treasures. And the second question for this morning is, is your heart focused on heavenly treasures? Jesus said this, he said, But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Heavenly treasures don't rust. They can't be stolen. They don't become obsolete. And that's because they have eternal consequences. Heavenly treasures are those things that we do that make a difference in a person's life that not only makes a difference for now, but it can make a difference for eternity. They bring glory to God. Heavenly treasures includes loving people, even loving our enemies. It means loving God. It means worship and prayer. And a very powerful heavenly treasure is accumulated as you and I give generously. We give of our money and our time, and our talents. Dr. Daniel Doriani wrote this. He said, The New Testament stresses that we store up treasures in heaven by giving generously of them on earth. If we live in covenant faithfulness, in other words, in loyalty to the Lord, we will be Christ-like and give sacrificially. Proverbs 11.25 states, A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others himself will be refreshed. Proverbs 22.9 adds, A generous man will himself be blessed. And the thing is, we've got to think about it. It's not, this isn't the prosperity gospel. This isn't, oh, if I give X amount of money, I'm going to get all this material money and stuff back. No, we get heavenly blessings. We know that we've done things that make a difference, that honor God. 1 Timothy 6.18 tells us to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, and to be ready to share. 
And in just in case we needed further explanation of this idea, Jesus actually provided us with an illustration. He said the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? See, and, and if you look at the Bible, when the Bible talks about things like the heart and eyes, they're referring to our inner person, what's going on inside of us. The eye often re represents our focus in life. And our focus in life affects the whole person. It affects our whole body. A healthy eye focuses on light. And light in the Bible means goodness. And that means that we'll focus on things that are lovely and praiseworthy and excellent. How we live will glorify God. We will be generous. But by contrast, Jesus says a bad eye goes with a heart that in many cases is filled with materialism and greed. We focus maybe on what others have that we don't have instead of the gifts that God has already given us. We lust after a bigger house, a nicer car, a bigger retirement fund. We're never satisfied. We want more and more and more. See, a bad eye feeds the greed. And it fills us with darkness. Darkness is another word for evil in the Bible. The desires of our heart get misplaced. And then Jesus finishes his teaching by kind of wrapping it all together. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. What he's saying there is we have to choose. But there's also some really good news here. We should be challenged, but for the Christian, God's working in us. Our heart should be becoming more healthy. We're learning to see the world as Christ sees it. Our eye is being ever more, our every day is being more directed toward things of God. Our life is filling up with goodness. We're getting filled with the goodness of Christ. And that means you and I should start to see opportunities to be generous. And we act, we, we are generous not to try and earn God's favor. We can't do that. We can't earn our way into heaven. We, we act because we've already received God's favor as a free gift through Christ. You know, and, and if you're sitting there this morning and you haven't quite put your trust in Christ, it's not too late. Do it today. No one, no one is too far gone. See, God is the master of heart transformation. And then God will start working in us, or in you, to help you store up treasures in heaven. Last March, Mary and I went with some friends to the Pregnancy Center, Help Center fundraising banquet. And that night, the guests speaker there was former player and current Cardinal baseball announcer Rick Horton. Rick Horton has also been the St. Louis director for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes all the way back uh, to 1993. He's a man of strong faith. And the other day I was listening to a recording of Rick's message from that banquet. And at the close 
of this message, this is what he said. He said, in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus made the statement, when you give. He didn't say not if you give. He said when you give. Giving for the Christian is not an option. We realize that everything we have is God's. We get to be the stewards of God's great riches, and that is a great blessing. And then Rick continued, he said, it is then good to give. It's good to share God's blessing with others. We, get, we give not to get something in return. Giving reminds you and I that it's not about us. And then he closed by saying, God commands us to give. So do it. Give. I think Rick Horton had it right. When people see us, they should see a picture of generosity. We give of our time. We volunteer here at church, or we volunteer somewhere in the community. We graciously lend a hand to our neighbors and total strangers. We realize that our time is not something that we hang on to tightly, but we're willing to give it away freely. We also give of our talents. You know, every one of us in here has been given unique gifts, unique talents by God, and yours might be different than the person sitting next to you. But they're gifts from God. They're important. You know, maybe you are good at organizing things, or you could be great at cooking, or writing notes to somebody who's in the hospital, or praying for people, or, or cleaning up things, or repairing things that are broken, or leading, or, or teaching, or, or serving in humility, or singing, or, or playing an instrument, working with people. Maybe you're good at starting up a new program, or working with children. And, and here's one I think that's really important that we don't think about it, but it's a great gift. Some of you are very good at doing those tasks that nobody else wants to do. And you are a blessing. Don't waste your God-given talents. Use them to do good, to give glory to God. And then finally, we give of our money. We support Christian ministries and missions. We give to those in need. We give a portion of our money to the work of the Lord. And you know what? It means we also give to the church. God has given to each one of us so richly, and so richly we give to others. We store up treasures in heaven. We're blessed by having advanced the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just... We thank you. We thank you for just all the many blessings. You go outside on a day like today, a crisp, clear day, and it's just beautiful. Your creation is a gift to us. We look at the person sitting next to us on the table. They are a gift from you to us. And then we look at the cross, and we realize that your son made the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus gave his life so that our sins could be forgiven. And so that we could have an eternity in glory with you. But Father, sometimes we're stingy. Sometimes we're selfish. Lord, I know in my own heart there are times when I want what I want. I want to buy what I want. I want that newest, latest, neat thing. And Father, our possessions are not bad, but they can become our idols. 
And so help us to have a heart that puts you first. Help us to have a heart that gives generously. And, and not just of our money, but of our time and our talents. And as we give, let us give to those things that have eternal consequences. Let us be used by you to make a difference in someone's life that they might come to know you and they might spend eternity in paradise with you and with us. Father, we, we do thank you. We thank you that you have blessed us. And we pray that we might be a blessing as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand for our closing song.